Camps are opening and so are realignment doors. Who's got next? It's the final day of July. The preseason AP ballot is due, though it doesn't come out for several more days. What type of advice might you people have for me to cast this final vote? This is the College Game Day podcast on the final day of July. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Pete, before July closes, we've got to have someone else play musical chairs with the conference. Colorado is going home, I guess, in some regard, and they may not be alone as they are the latest to exit the now Pac-9, formerly known as the Pac-12, for um, ostensibly greener or at least more stable pastures. Yeah, greener cowboy hats. Are cowboy hats green? Um, <laughs> they can be. Yeah. So I guess here we are. We should timestamp this uh, late afternoon on Monday. Uh, there is a Pac-12 meeting tomorrow. Now, again, Reese, stop me if you've heard this before, where they are <laughs> going to present numbers to the presidents and athletic directors, at least likely the athletic directors. They're going to be on the early part of the call. Um these numbers are going to likely dictate, or lack of numbers in in, in many cases, and George Klyovkov, who, who we both know and like, has certainly earned some skepticism in this uh, in this for the inability to to kind of come up with a concrete deal, and that's one of the things that drove Colorado out. Um, if George comes through with some numbers, there's a really good chance the nine stay together. Maybe they add a tenth. Maybe they don't. Um, so the, the survival option is still on the table. I never want to be hyperbolic when talking about realignment, but I don't think it's hyperbolic to say the information presented on Tuesday, and maybe there'll be more on Wednesday, are going to dictate the future of the Pac-12. And that future could determine its very existence or not, or certainly its existence in some recognizable uh, form. Um, from what my sources said today, Arizona had been kind of fingered for a few days as the most likely uh, defectee to follow Colorado. I was told today it's very unlikely that they would go alone, that they'd want to go as a partnership with Arizona State and Utah. So those three teams really hold the 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 fulcrum of whether the Pac-12 sort of rolls along in some recognizable form or does not. Um, if they left, Oregon and Washington would be out either wandering in the independent mist for a while or likely a target of the Big Ten for pennies on the dollar, um, where they could they could take them, bring them in. They would likely not get a full share, and then they could eventually grow into that. And it's been no secret they want to get on that side of the moat because the salaries double, just like anyone would leave mm-hmm. their current situation for double the, uh, double the payment. So... Um, that's about where we are right now, but it's hard to overstate the importance of this week generally. Now, I'll say this again. These are big, complicated universities with boards and regents and committees that evaluate committees. So I don't think everybody's going to pull out in the dark of night on Tuesday um, if they don't get the numbers they like. But I do think when someone's writing a you know oral history of uh, this moment in time, this Tuesday meeting is going to be a very important pivot point in what the Pac-12 looks like in years to come. I'm not a lawyer nor a legal expert, but occasionally I do play one on podcasts. But the one thing that I think about, probably not in the next few years or in the next uh, next round of realignment, however this dust settles, is I sort of think back to the 1984 
case with the University of Oklahoma Board of Regents and Georgia Athletic Association versus the NCAA over television rights. And you might say, well, what's that got to do with this? Well, at that time, for our younger listeners, schools were only allowed to be on television a certain number of times per season. For some reason, it's entrenched in my brain. I think it was five times over the course of two years. Every game wasn't on television. Um, eventually, the courts ruled, Supreme Court ruled that this was an unfair restriction of trade. Okay, so now that you've got your brief history lesson and sort of a rudimentary one at that, the reason I draw this parallel is this. There are going to be some major programs by our definition now, Power Five programs, who are not going to make the cut for the Big Ten or the SEC. Now, at the moment, the ACC and the Big 12 both have deals, so they're viable. We don't know how the Pac-12 is going to come out of this, whether they are viable or viable at the same level. How much more does it take before some of those left out and left in the wake say, hey, wait a minute. You're unfairly restraining my ability to trade by scheduling against each other, um, you know, within the conferences and maybe even cross conference type things. I don't know if it would work, but I don't think that some of these schools that are left out, oh, just pulling names off the top of my head, Washington State, uh, Oregon State, um, you know, I don't know if Stanford and Cal care enough, but maybe Stanford and Cal. I know that there are some prestige. They definitely have the legal the, power to go after it. Like I yeah, would definitely hire lawyers from those schools. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. But you know whether they would want to get in the weeds on something like that, or even if they would. But it came to mind that it seems really easy, and I've been guilty of it from time to time, saying we're headed toward two super conferences like the old uh, AFL-NFL before mm -hmm. the merger, and that's what we're going to have. And I don't know that it's that simple from a legal standpoint, and that might might um, make the conferences very judicious. It might not put the brakes on expansion, but it might make them very careful in the way they go about it. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Um, I'm a little lost in the weeds here. You you went you went high macro, and I'm like deep micro. So it was a good it was a good compliment to uh, yeah. to that. I I think recent we've talked about this in some other ways. Like all of this, in some ways, is part of the drumbeat to some different form of the games we love. Right? Like there's just too much happening now, and there's too much separation between football and everybody else, and there's just too much of a disparate. Uh, membership on the landscape to to keep everything organized under the same umbrellas. I mean, Alabama, LSU, and USC are under the same umbrella as fill in the blank Division three schools, Williams College, or mm -hmm. you know, it's just it's all like they're all just sort of forced and linked together um, in this. But big, some of, some of that's been mitigated a little bit, though. Has some of that's a little been bit, mitigated, yeah, autonomy like, five and sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even like amidst the 133 schools that play FBS mm -hmm. football, there is just, you know, some of them make 10 times the amount of money as others, like more than yeah. that. Uh, it's like, you know, there's Nick Georgia and Georgia State. Than, yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Nick Saban makes more money than probably a third of them bring in. So it's just, you know, how do you how do you afford talent? Now with NIL, how does that look? Um, there's just all these successive drumbeats going to where it's going to be hard to keep everything 
under the same paradigms, leadership-wise, that we've known. Um, now, someone's like, they'll break away and have a czar. No, no, the conferences are still going to have all the juice. The conferences aren't mm-hmm. giving up the juice. But I really do feel like, I don't know, do Washington State and Oregon State have a case if all these schools break away? They yeah, entered I a, and I just, they I, entered I, I a TV contract, and the contract expired. Other, mm-hmm. com, you know, other of their peers enter different TV contracts. Right. So that's what I say. Maybe I, maybe I'm not right about it, but there, there are provisions. I did a little homework on this, believe it or not, just enough to be dangerous, but (laughs) there are provisions within this uh, apparently about you have the, you have the freedom and there's the unfair restriction of it, but then there's also the acting as a group to limit competition. And I think that's probably where they would go if there's any case at all. Maybe there's not. It just seems like that, you know, I don't know that a lot of these schools would just throw up their hands and say, oh, well, it may, and look, maybe they would have no choice. But the, you know, the one thing I will say about this, while it's clear that money drives the boat and the reason that a Washington or an Oregon, uh, a PAC, I mean, and pardon me, a Big Ten type deal would be really attractive to them is simply because of money. But as fans, we always get back to the pure, uh, purely competitive side of this, right? And the games that we enjoy on the field. We don't really enjoy realignment other than for, you know, we like drama and chaos. It's sort of in our human nature, you know, you might say. But I don't like it. Field, I'll be clear about that. My wife <laughs> definitely field, doesn't like it. <laughs> no, I'm sure she doesn't. On the field, <laughs> let's say you have a pack nine or you throw somebody in there, Boise State, San Diego State, whoever it's going to be. And you have a Pac-10. Well, the new rules for the expanded college football playoff still say the six highest ranking conference champions, right? That's going to give you a really, really clear path if you're Washington or Oregon and you're in that. Correct. And that's one of the allures, I think, for them to stay. But now this is where I'd have to go deep in the Bill Hancock weeds and I haven't done it yet. So... Year 11 and year 12, it's going to be highest rank of of the... So we're entering year 10 of the CFP, which is a four-team playoff for the final time. Then year 11 and year 12 are agreed upon sixth highest ranking conference champions. That language... They haven't even written the TV contracts for the new one, right? No one knows what channels are going to be on. We we don't even know when the, the, the quarterfinals and the other stuff is going to be on for 11 and 12. But if there is an Armageddon scenario... Um, those could easily be written to the highest five rank. Now, that would have yeah. to be unanimous, I believe. So there could be some kicking and screaming, but you could also, there's some mafia tactics with, well, we'll just squeeze you out of the payments <laughs> if they didn't get what they really want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, again, all respect to uh, all respect to the deal-making involved here. But look, it makes sense, right? I like, thought you were going to say all respect to The sixth highest ranked com- conference champions was that. Now, how the CFP money is going to be sliced after year twelve is a big debate. Once you really dive in with the uh, with the poobahs of the sport, there is and a it, lot of conversation about how that will go, and no clarity on where it's going to end up because everyone wants to hold hands and talk about unanimity, and we're all you know collegial. But boy, like if there's six SEC teams in and they get the same amount as the proverbial Big 12 or whatever, that's not going to go well.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're right. We've gone a lot of different directions yeah. here. So, so let's let's focus it on what you think is important right now. Um, end of the week or end of the month before the season starts. Do any of the other so-called corner schools in the Pac-12 leave the conference? I'd say it all hinges on what happens in the you know Tuesday, and they maybe bleeds into Wednesday meetings. But I think. The Pac-12's television deal has earned our skepticism, and I am skeptical what they can come up with. I, you know, just again for the sake of the sport and a vibrant West Coast outlet, I kind of hope everything stays the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you and I are both general traditionalists. Traditionalists, mm-hmm. we don't root for anybody, but we kind of like the sport and the structure of the sport, and we can. I think you can root for structure, right? Like even if you can't I, root for teams, yeah, sure, of course you can. A, yeah, it's not a tradition, it's not, and you know. We want Washington State to play Washington and Oregon State to play Oregon and mm-hmm. Arizona State to play Arizona in the in the same league. I don't think that's like too much to ask. Those are games we all enjoy, and those are part of the water cooler conversations from Tucson to Tempe and Pullman to Seattle. So it's just like that's what we want. I don't want to see the fabric of the sport ripped up anymore. But then again, I am a free market bottom line realist at the same time too. So mm-hmm. if it happens, I wouldn't be surprised. So if I had to make a prediction, Reese, which are always dangerous because they can get clipped and put on 30, 30 for 30s, I would predict that those schools leave right now if you're forcing me to that. But that's not based on reporting. That's based on 12 months of missed deadlines and ambiguity and the fact that everybody knew Colorado was the flight risk and they let them fly. Think about this for a minute. Colorado, I think in the last 20 football seasons, they've had two winning campaigns. Yet, they're always, they're always moving. Think of the numbers. If you, if you like numbers, you like jersey numbers or just you're into, um, into numerology of any way. They're going back to the Big 12, which has 14 teams, but next year we'll have 13 unless they get back to 14. Colorado has played historically in the big six, big seven, big eight in the Pac-12, which was sort of the 10 and is now really sort of the Pac-9. They're still playing in it. Now, if they can find an 11-team conference to play someplace, they will have completed the entire bingo card. And and if you want to go to the other end of the numbers, they haven't been in a sweet 16 since 1969, but man, they're survivors. The buffs are survivors, right? I mean, the the Big 12 looks as if it's in trouble. Boom, off to the Pac-12, just when it looked like the Pac-12 was going to take off. Now Pac-12's in trouble. Now they're back to the Big 12. Now, you know, they haven't won much at much of anything. But you have Deion Sanders. Um, I don't know. How much do you think? I've read some things today that there are people who believe that that played a great part in just how attractive Colorado was to the Big 12. I think 
I think of it more as being an added bonus, but not a primary reason. I think that would be very uh, short-sighted, even though I think it's a great hire, especially the plight that Colorado has found itself in for the last two decades with a couple of exceptions. Um, I think it's a great hire, a great risk to take. He's bringing attention to them. They're going to be on national television early, which, you know, I mean, they were on, but nobody cared. People were actually going to care to watch them, at least for the first part of the season. But it's pretty short-sighted if that played any heavy role, I think, in in bringing them into uh, into the Big 12. What say you? Yeah, I agree with you, Reese. I, in my reporting on Colorado going to the Big 12, I have mentioned Deion Sanders sparingly. Now, he's mm-hmm. been an advocate of the move. And if you're Deion Sanders of Cowboys fame and a former high school oh, coach, yeah. like you would certainly prefer that. So that's very clear. You'd rather recruit Texas. You'd rather be in your home, etc. Um, how much it actually played into the university decision making, I think generally was not significant. I just, you know, as it yeah. shouldn't be. This is a this is a generational decision. That's how it was uh, posted to me at some point. Like this is Phil DeStefano and Rick George trying to set Colorado up for the next twenty five years. I look. I hope Deion Sanders wins. It's an unbelievable story. Um, the the attention at Colorado in the last eight months is more than the first nineteen years that I covered college football. So, mm-hmm. um. Their brand in football is like a, a. They should have a long thank you note to Cordell Stewart and uh, Michael Westbrook <laughs> and Rashawn Salam and those guys because they they obviously made Colorado football Colorado football. Um, and you know, Coach McCartney, they can thank. Like, there's a lot of people that you know that went into like us thinking about Colorado football as a thing back in the late mm-hmm. '80s and in early '90s, and that's still carried. And that's one of the weird quirks of college football is you can have a brand that still resonates even if the teams don't match it at that current moment. Now, Colorado is a great market. First of all, it's an awesome university, right? Like an Mm -hmm. awesome school in an awesome place. It's an aspirational place. High school kids want to go there. So it's all those things. So was Deion Sanders on the list of things considered? Sure. But I think he was pretty far down. I, I think your instincts are right there. You know, one thing that does occur to me about this move to the Big 12, as opposed to Colorado's previous conference history, they've always been um, a nice side dish. They've been an afterthought. They've never been an entree. You know, when, when they were, I know there was the year, I think it was 71, I believe, where a Nebraska, Oklahoma, Colorado finished one, two, three. I think that's right. I think it was 71. I know Nebraska was one that year. So I'm not saying they haven't had moments and haven't been really, haven't been good, but they weren't Nebraska and Oklahoma in the big sure. eight. Yeah. When they, when the big 12 was formed in 1996, they, they weren't Texas and OU. You know, when they went to the Pac 12, they weren't SC or Washington, you know, or Oregon at that time. Washington's probably a bad example in that time frame, but historically, you know, they weren't SC. You know, they weren't Oregon. They were another one. In this conference that they're going to after Texas and Oklahoma exit, um, there are name brands and good, and, and good, really good programs. One of them just played for the national championship last year. They have a chance to be one of the big dogs in the room. You know, I mean, like even as glorious as Nebraska's history is, they got ticked off in the Big 12 because they weren't Texas. Colorado 
Colorado has a chance here, maybe. Now they got a, you know, you gain a little clout when you have success. So if they can have some success, Mm -hmm. they may have more clout in this new iteration of the Big 12 than they've ever had in any of their other conferences. Yeah. My favorite part of the new Big 12, and this could be with those three schools we talked about earlier without them, is that there's harmony by homogenization, right? I think virtually every Big 12 school wakes up and starts camp this week thinking it can win the league. Not in some cliched way, but like Mm -hmm. Indiana doesn't wake up thinking it can win the Big 10. They just don't. Now, maybe they should, and I hope they do. But like that's just not not a reality. I would think everyone but West Virginia harbors real ambition. Maybe Iowa State isn't quite there, but they had just won it not that long ago. I think the stat is three different teams in six different programs have played for and won the Big 12 the last three years. So everybody has to feel like they have a shot. Well, K-State just won it, so they got a shot. Kansas started... Was it five and zero, six and zero? So they've got to feel like they have a shot. Oklahoma State, they may be the best brand in the league right now. Baylor won it not that long ago. Um, so you can kind of tick off and through, and uh, and and get to where there's a case for everybody, and not some like outlandish the case for Syracuse to win the ACC. But everybody is sort of in the in a beautiful muddled middle where they're going to have a chance. I was talking to. Uh, a coach today who was like, well, if I started the Big 12 this year, I think I could win it. You know, like not in a, you know, not in a naive way. It's like, yeah, sure. You know, you need a couple breaks and you got to win it. You know, mm-hmm. you got to win a game in the fourth quarter. And I think that the strength of the league is going to be that it's, uh, it's a bunch of guys in deep water trying to keep their nose, you know, nose above sea level, right? And uh, in in a very cool way. And that could manifest itself in 53, 51 games like we've seen in the league's history. But it could also be, you know, Dave Aranda and Scott Satterfield winning a 14-13 game in, in, in there. So I think that is kind of one of the neat parts of this new Big 12 is that it is, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful tar pit. To illustrate your point, the teams that played for the championship in 21, Oklahoma State and Baylor played that thriller. Baylor stopped them on the one millimeter line and won the Big 12. Those two teams, the following season, uh, granted they lost some guys, but the following season, one was seven and six, the other was six and seven. You know, and they also both, you know, both lost some close games and Oklahoma State sort of, you know, stepped into the empty elevator shaft down the, down the stretch. And, you know, they'd started off okay, but that's the, that is the beauty of that conference. And I think that's probably the case for them this year that will make it entertaining. If you like that type of parody and not really having the juggernaut to shoot at, which is also compelling in its own right, but mm-hmm. the Big 12 is the place for you. I mean, even the the perceived favorite based on talent and uh, expected improvement, if not displayed improvement, is Texas. They lost five games last year, five. And and yeah, I know historically they're the brand, and everybody's going to take their shots at them. But you know, I think there's a feeling because you know TCU because of the players they lost, and also because they won like five one possession games and had a boatload of you know. Uh, late second half comebacks that despite the fact, you know, that they were undefeated in the regular season in conference play until the big 12 championship game, there's not a huge expectation that they're just going to, you know, run it back and do it again. 
Um, you know, I know that's sort of Kansas State's mantra is they want to prove that last year wasn't a fluke. That's why they got a lot of their veterans coming back. But I, I agree with you. I think that does make it really, really compelling in the Big 12, the fact that um, there's not a lot of separation and there's nothing that would be uh, indicative in either history or upcoming resources to say that after Texas and OU leave, that you're going to have anyone who's going to separate themselves the way, uh, the way say Clemson has in the ACC, the Florida State's challenging now, the way Ohio State and Michigan uh, have in the Big Ten, and the way Alabama and Georgia uh, have for the most part, with all due respect to LSU's occasional rise, um, you know, than Alabama and Georgia have in the SEC. Yeah, and I think, too, the the fun part of that, Reese, to double down on that, is we're going to be looking at this now through the prism of a 12-team playoff. So we're going to enter November, and there's going to be six Big 12 teams who feel like they have a path to maybe a bid, right? Be it an at-large, be it, the, be it the conference title game for a shot at the conference title. Like, that's going to be pretty cool. And, you know, the one thing when we talk about what we like about the landscape of the sport is you want Manhattan, Kansas to have a shot and be rocking on a Saturday night. You want that same thing in Waco, Texas. Um, you know, now it's going to be in Orlando and, and, and hopefully in Morgantown if they get some juice back there under Neil Brown. But that's kind of, I think, the neat part of this thing and why you want to see the whole country just kind of you know, energized by the playoff. And that was the point of the playoff, right? Like that's even Greg Sankey said, like we need to keep a vibrant national sport. And that's something that, that comes under the crosshairs here. Uh, Even though the big 12 is going to be great. um, Is college football maximizing itself from coast to coast? More realignment talk. If you follow Twitter and I know you've been locked in on all of this stuff, I scoffed in the general direction and laughed heartily, though I know, I know that there is an underlying desire, uh, by some of the Atlantic Coast Conference to, uh, find an escape hatch. There was this talk that, oh, the realignment, uh, you know, bomb's about to drop and it's going to be Florida State and Clemson to the Big Ten. And I texted you and said, I scoff at this. And, and you, you concurred in my scoffing. To a degree, right? I mean, yes. this is not happening now, right? That, no. That, I mean, this much we know, right? Yeah. Okay. No. Well, the Big Ten part, certainly not. So yeah. here's here's where the ACC is right now. And I've spent a lot of time on this, not only today, but like through the recent weeks and months. Um, we all know Florida State is unhappy with the ACC, right? They've done everything but like fly an airplane over Dope Candle with a <laughs> Dope Campbell with a middle finger to Greensboro or Charlotte or wherever it's located now. Right? Like they have they have not been subtle about their unhappiness. Okay. So again, duly noted, right? Great program. They're ripping back. They're gonna open uh on uh, on that opening Sunday. I'm excited to watch that game. Maybe as excited to watch that game as any regular season game this year, right? That Mike Norvell and the Knowles are back and it should be awesome. Um they are of the belief that they should not get the same share of money in ACC TV money as proverbial Syracuse, Wake Forest, BC, etc. Um, so that is part of their kicking and screaming. And then obviously chatting with Clemson and Miami and others um, in the aggrieved seven, as I call them. So <laughs> with, with all that said... And I fully acknowledge Florida State's ambition, and I fully acknowledge the power of that program when it's rocking and rolling. 
I don't know where they go. And the problem with breaking away is you don't know if you can fully unwind from the grant of rights. Like, my understanding is if the ACC bylaws don't account for dissolving, right? And so there's no, like, vote of this to dissolve the league. So mm-hmm. do you take the legal risk to attempt to dissolve the league, still owe hundreds plus million in exit fees? I think it's 100. It might be 150 in exit fees because of the length of time, the grand rights is to 2036, and then still not own your rights. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't care how good you are, if you don't own the rights to your home games, you are not of much value. So, um, again, way smarter people than me have spent way more time on this. And a lot of people have dedicated a lot of time and private plane hours to fly to Greensboro to find an answer. Um, and to, to, to go through that grant of rights with a, uh, with a magnifying glass, a fine tooth comb, a spelunking hat, however you want to look at it. Um, and what I don't know now is what I didn't know when people started to do this about a year ago is how will it look any different? Basically the day that Oklahoma and Texas left was the day this exploration started hot and heavy. And, um, the whole realignment map could look an awful lot different. But right now, the grant of rights binds everyone. And Jim Phillips, who's got his own issues from the the issues that have surfaced from his time at Northwestern, is going to have his fingers crossed until August 15th. That's the day where anyone who wants to leave for the 24 season would have to give the ACC written notice by. So that's two weeks from now. Here's the problem, though, when you start to game this out, and I've spent way more time gaming this stuff out than I would even care to admit uh, to our listeners. So say Florida State tries to leave. Say eight schools try to leave. Say say whatever whatever it is. There's nowhere for them to go. There's no guarantee that the SEC would welcome them with open arms. The SEC is going to make some kind of move, Reese. It's going to be in defense so that that property doesn't go to the Big Ten. Like they're, mm-hmm. those two are spy versus spy looking, looking at each other. And mm-hmm. we've, we've said this on, on a previous show, you know, Virginia and Carolina have those more the, value those to those two teams. leagues yeah. because of yeah. markets and uh, recruiting bases and the fact that they're not duplicate. So mm-hmm. um, now look, that does not say Florida, this does not mean Florida State's not a valuable property, right? Because there's a lot of numbers that say they are. It's not mean Clemson. Two-time recent national championship Clemson is not a valuable property because they certainly are. But would they be the first realignment draft picks? No. So this is where I shouldn't be dropping Latin legal phrases. This Taylor should end the podcast right here. But tortious interference would come into play. So obviously there's going to be an unwinding and there's going to be a bajillion lawsuits. If it was found out that the SEC Big Ten Big 12, whoever, just hypothetical, had contact and encouraged one of these schools to break out of this ACC contract in the grant of rights, that would be a big legal no-no. So all of this means is this thing is going to be a thicket of a legal mess. And Mm -hmm. until, my understanding is until you're cleared of that or much of that, you're not going to get an invitation to go anywhere. So can all these teams leave, Reese? Can they leave and just start their own league? Well, Who's going to put them on? Fox is pretty much maxed out of windows. You're just going to have a fiery divorce from ESPN. I can't see them turning around and like rebidding on, you know, the the leftovers of a broken contract. So right. then if you're just going to go to a stream outlet or it, 
you know, the CBSs and NBCs, and these are all great options. I'm not knocking them. They're great options. They don't have the tonnage or the availability to put on, you know, the the random Clemson BC basketball game on a Tuesday night or whatever it is, right? Like just like mm-hmm. the, these conferences have a lot of tonnage and there's only a certain amount of people who can handle the tonnage. So that's just when you start to game through and walk through the where would you goes, I don't doubt the desire and I don't doubt the caliber of the schools. It's no knock on them. I just don't see a viable path. And I talk to a lot of people, a lot of people way smarter than me who also don't see a viable path. I don't, I don't see what the conferences gain, but I feel at this point, maybe in a few years when things change, I certainly could see the value because as you pointed out, the real way to grow uh, your value is not by getting more teams, it's playing more good games. And like the SEC has enough teams in the new 16-team league. I think they should play 10. I've said that for 100 years. Uh, not 100, I've been live, live that long. But ever since they've started talking, expanding, expanding schedules, they shouldn't just go to nine. Go to ten. Five home, five away, and play somebody else. Well, that also um, kind of puts the squeeze on some of these teams. But I feel the same way about the ACC as I do about the Pac-12. That we talked, I, I want them to survive because of the historical uh, context of it. Uh, sure. Basketball's important. I would like to yeah. see that basketball conference survive. And I think they can be viable in football. Uh, so, you know, if there, if, if there are different structures, if a structure is set in place where things are collectively bargained with the players, and then maybe some of this, there will still be a discrepancy in the media rights deals. I know that. But in terms of, Money that you have to have at your disposal to be able to compete at the highest levels, it might not be, um, you know, an untenable situation to get deeper in the contract and then see if you can increase your value to the point that you renegotiate or whatever it might be when 2036 comes around. You want to... Um, do you want to wrap this up and actually talk something fun a little bit before we say, I mean, not that oh, this I would love to fun, actual football, like the games, okay. actual football. So we've talked about this on the pod before I'm voting in the AP poll again, and we're Ooh. not supposed to reveal our votes and it's still a couple weeks out. I think maybe the 14th and don't hold me to that, but I think that's when the preseason poll was released. I've done quite a bit of work on it. I have, uh, you know, I have some things and I don't mind saying this part of how I voted because I've said it on the podcast. I have Michigan number one to start. What advice- I don't think Ralph Russo is going to come hunt you down, Reese. I, think I don't think some, he will. Some general yeah, publicizing just- of his fine pool. Well, by the way, the AP yeah. pool is one of the great traditions in college sports. A ton it- of respect for the AP pool. There's a lot of legwork put in, a lot of like dude covering a Hawaii game who's got to get his poll in at three in the morning. Those guys grind it out. So yeah. I, uh, it- we, we respect know, the rules know- of that, but I think we can talk generally about well, you know, know, it's a, the tenets of your ballot. The, uh, yeah. the one thing that I still, even after these several years of doing it, that I live in fear. They have this this great system where you vote, where you can drag tiles around as you want to move teams around. So you can insert your last poll and have a good look at what that was. And I don't do I don't do that until later in the season. I start from uh, not, I won't say start from scratch. I don't want to be overly influenced because I've been a proponent that early season polls should be really fluid and reflective 
of what you see and not trying to validate what you predicted. It's okay to make predictions and you really need to say, they're not as good as I thought. They're not as good. So it's okay if you beat a top 10 team early, you can soar. Right. Yeah. It's okay in the belief of what you are. Yeah. Yeah, It's okay to drop from, you know, you've done all your homework. You've talked to people. You've read everything in the world. And you think, I think they're going to be really good. I'm ranking number eight. Well, they don't play well the first two weeks. Maybe they're two and oh. And then you drop them to 23. And people say, well, they won. But it's, it's so funny because the people who critique voters who do that, are the same ones who then turn around and say, you can't just put them there and leave them there because of the preseason poll. You can have a preseason poll if you are willing to move the teams around, and I am. So I I have Michigan number one until I see Georgia's quarterback play. Doesn't mean I'm automatically going to move Georgia there, but I'd say that's probably highly likely if the quarterback plays well and they look great because I think they have a more talented roster. Beyond that, what what do you think? Give me some. Give me something that you think I should be thinking about. A team that I should be thinking about. You can challenge me as to whether I have this team ranked in my uh, in my preseason top twenty five. And while you're thinking of your question, I'll finish my thought about my biggest fear over the last several years yeah. of doing this. It's when you drag those tiles around and the tiles with the teams to rearrange the teams. And I really got off on a tangent there. But the system is you can take the tiles, you type in uh, the team name, it pops up with a logo, and it just helps you move them if you need to, you know, it's it's a time saver. But my biggest fear is that like when you X out a team or move a team or something mm. that you accidentally forget to put them back in. That happened mm-hmm. to me. It's been a number of years ago. I, I think it was Virginia Tech and they weren't a highly ranked team. But it, it was, you know, I probably would have had them somewhere, you know, in the that year, maybe the 15 to 20 neighborhood. And I was kind of playing with how I was ranking those teams and looking at mm-hmm. stuff. And I hit submit at some point and it was lost on me that at some point in the process, I'd X them out and failed to put them back in. Fixed it the next week. It was midseason. Wasn't the end of the world. But it's something you worry about. OK, sure. so. I've gone through, I don't think at this point in the, the teams that I have ranked, that there's anybody, uh, there are a few at the end, a few teams that I left out, that had in, took them out, think, you know, guess, gut feeling, all of that kind of stuff. Give me a team I ought to be thinking about, say, in the last, you know, eight to ten spots that you don't know if I, if I have in there or not. Well, I'd be curious about this team because I do feel like rankings, not you, you're obviously very, uh, very conscientious of how you rank teams, but I do feel like there's, this can be a brand exercise a little bit, right? And we default to the brands and they've earned some of that. But like Oregon State is very interesting to me. They had a great season. Um, they beat Oregon. They are, you know, and then they bring in a high profile quarterback transfer in, uh, DJ Uyunglele. They return, you, you know, pick a number. Is it 17 starter or something like that? I'm sure you've done 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 your mm. preseason diligence at this point. Um, can can do you rank them in the top 10? Like, do you settle them behind the bigger brands of the Pac-12? I just think they're a team with some variance because you know the bullish people on them are very bullish. And again, they they were a modern day left tackle Bush push away from beating USC last year at mm-hmm. research. So, mm-hmm. I um. I, I do have them ranked, and I will say this. This factored into my ranking. I almost ranked them much higher than I have them, but mm-hmm. it, it started echoing in my head. 
if you want to see the Georgia quarterback, you probably ought to want to see DJ play first too because their problem last year was quarterback play. And, mm-hmm. I mean, they were still really good, uh, sure. as you say, but they, they yeah. could have been really something if they'd gotten a little more product mm-hmm. in that spot. Yes. They're a team that I have ranked that could that could soar if they play well, put points on the board, and look really efficient from that spot. Because I like you. Now they did lose a linebacker, you know, the transfer portal yep. yes. to LSU that uh, you know was not good for them because he was a terrific player, Omar Spates for them. So yep. that's tough. So they don't have everybody back, but um, they. You know, I think they're going to be really good. They're a team that could soar up the rankings with some good performances early. That's a, that's a good call. Is they open at San Jose State, which is just like one of those great like if these leagues all tear apart, that's like the beauty is like they go to San Jose State. Obviously, USC is never going to San Jose State, right? Or whatever, just a West Coast power fill in the blank is not going to go there. And I think that's pretty cool. Like that's that's a game you and I will be texting each other while we're watching well past midnight on that uh, on that opening weekend. Oh, I lied. It's uh, it's a Sunday CBS game, September third. Oh, right. Yes, twelve thirty local. So that's probably on after Rutgers Northwestern. Snobbery. This I'm going to go uh. big snobbery here usc should not go to san jose state but it's okay for oregon state to go there no i think that's right i just think you know, that's I basic mean, economics I, I like i have no problem with sort of like you you are what your budget says you are right mm-hmm. so um yeah but i also think it's cool that they do too you know what i mean like no no it is i mean it's it's okay if you want to but there's no real reason to i don't i don't i don't subscribe to uh you know to the thing where the big guys have to give the little guys everything they want in terms of scheduling. Now you should play yeah, them. That's fair. You, know, you, yeah. you shouldn't dodge playing them if they want to, but mm-hmm. you're FC for a reason, <laughs> you know, and if, if San Jose state wants to play you, um, mm-hmm. they should come to you much. I sort of feel the same way in basketball. There are some exceptions. Mm-hmm. I, I always used to, you know, used to joke with, uh, with, Digger Phelps, when both of them uh, worked together, and said, Digger would never play me. He'd never play me. He never gave Detroit Mercy a chance. You know, like that. And, uh, you know, uh, too bad. Go to, go to South Bend if you want to play him. We're getting the same tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stick with the little guy theme since we're there. Do you have any group of five teams ranked? I do. Oh. Oh. I do. All right. You just want to leave it there and leave that dangling participle? Uh, no, they have a veteran quarterback, real veteran quarterback. So, oh yeah, he's older than yeah. me. <laughs> I've got the uh, I've got the old I've got the old road runners in, in there. Right, good, I'm glad you got him in. I'm glad you got him in. Yeah. That would be that would have been my most likely to be ranked. Is that who you were fishing for? Or are you fishing, I was fishing for, for the road runners? I was fishing for Coach yep. Trailer and the boys. Um, okay. Yeah, I am very glad that you do. That makes me that puts us that puts a smile on my face. Um, here's a variance team. Uh, underperformed last year, bringing a coaching upgrade, totally new quarterback room. Uh, the Wisconsin Badgers, ranked or not ranked? The hardest team for me to evaluate at the end of the line because uh, I'm not going to tell you whether I have them ranked or unranked. Okay. Yeah, well, I have them unranked. Ooh. But I have them ranked at first, and then I, and then I X them out. Um, so they're, they're right on the cut line for, for me in the preseason. 
Um, yeah, they've earned some skepticism. I don't. I don't mind that. I don't. You know. I. I also think they could be in the top ten in like in in mid October. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. If they win, obviously they have to. They have to win some games. Mordecai, Which, you know where they go week two? Game. Speaking of, um, speaking of like my... West Coast, West Coast. Oh wait, they, are they? Um, let's see. I've got on my handy dandy chart right here. Oh yeah, they're they're on the Palouse, baby. That could that could oh, get yeah? dice. They're going that to Pullman. Could, yeah, I mean that's you know, obviously uh, you know Washington State beat them last year in Madison, so that's you know that's where you uh, that's where you start and. Cam Ward is the most established quarterback in that game to uh, to, to push it on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I yeah I think you know, the Badgers we'll be- are Badgers are interesting. I'll I'll say this: we're going to preview the Big Ten uh, later this week. And one of my takeaways was that Luke Fickle, who is not like a stand on the table beat his chest guy, feels good about his team. Um, I spent mm-hmm. some time with him in India Big Ten Media Day, and when Luke Fickle tells me something, I tend to believe it. So, well, that I mean that's. That was as good a hire, maybe the best hire of the coaching mm. cycle. And um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what Paul Chris did and the type of coach that that he is still there. But once they decided to make the change, um, going with Luke Fickle, not only getting a, a proven excellent coach, but one who sort of fits the mentality of where you are and yet has the credibility to be able to um, diversify the offensive attack with bringing in Phil Longo and bringing in Tanner Mordecai, you know, through for a million yards at SMU. And still, you know, from, based on the way they were at Cincinnati, he's not going to abandon the running game. It's not going to, um, you know, it's not going to look like they're trying to be something that's not in their DNA, yet they're going to open up a little bit and that might help them in the, um, in the coming coming divisionless Big Ten when they won't be able to just get by by beating those in the West. If they want to win at the highest level, they have to beat Ohio State and Michigan, Penn State. So um which I know they still do in the championship game, but to get there they'll have to take care of those teams along the way. So I, I it's so a great wrap hire. with this. I think it's a good call. Let's wrap with this one. We'll stay in the Big Ten West uh, in its dying embers here. Uh, I'll recycle <laughs> one of your favorite jokes from game day. Uh, Iowa, because there's no O. Um, I think their racking would, would be wrapped around the idea of an O of incompetency becoming one of modest competency. And then the other facets of the program, the special teams, obviously, in the defense have been, you know, as good as any in college football uh, in recent years. So does Cade McNamara and Eric all give you give you optimism that there'll be some O in Iowa this year? Well, there needs to be 25 points per game to to save Brian Ferentz, who has a revised one year contract, took a little bit of a haircut on the on the pace side and he has to have to win seven, 25 points per game. That's part of his contract. I think they'll do that. Um, I, I kind of need to kind of need to have a, have a little look at them also, but they've got a lot of guys coming back on the offensive line. Uh, McNamara will be a huge upgrade for them at quarterback. And Eric all is a good player. They've got Luke Lachey, you know, a tight end who's uh, who's also a really good player. So they'll again, or I guess in the, theme of staying with your with who you are um they should be able to run the football and then the play action passes and so forth will probably be more effective and more uh more like the good iowa teams um 
you know, as opposed to even I won eight games last year, but you know, as opposed to the one dimensional defensive only Iowa teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, uh, so we'll go, we're going to go through the big yeah. 10 team by team yes, and we will. what they're going to put, they're going to put, um, some type of timing device on us, aren't they? Uh, yes, I think an egg timer. Uh, they're taking from my 103-year-old grandmother's uh, kitchen. So. How um how how are the people listening to the podcast going to know that the egg timer has expired? We're going to have a sound effect or something? I think that's for Taylor and Sarah to work on here, right? Okay. Like, is there well, we like a good know. 80s cartoon, like, like an anvil or a roadrunner or a, maybe a meep meep? In, in honor of the Roadrunners being ranked. Do you guys think that people will be mad when you talk about Ohio State and Michigan for 10 minutes each and then you have to, you know, three minutes on Indiana, three minutes on Northwestern? Yes. Will that make people mad? Well, no, because th- that would imply... Northwestern <laughs> would want less than three minutes, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah Northwestern <laughs> would prefer... They, they would prefer less than an NBA shot clock is what Northwestern yes. would prefer. <laughs> uh, get it off in 24 seconds and be done with yeah. it. You can't even um, get through the lawsuits in three minutes. I think, uh, I think who will be mad, Taylor, will be the Ohio State and Michigan fans, the Ohio State fans that we actually spend 10 minutes or whatever on uh, Michigan and Michigan fans that we spend 10 minutes on Ohio State. And then they'll be just they'll both be united in their anger toward us that we spent any time on anyone else. So the answer to your question is yes. They'll be mad. Vocal fan bases, we can confirm. Sources close to those fan bases confirm their, can confirm their vocal. So. Especially especially the one in Scarlet and Gray. Particularly That's vocal. fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, sometimes uh, sometimes uh, the Michigan crowd is much more like the uh, the good people of North Carolina that you insulted and got aggregated for uh, when, when somebody picked up on on your uh, wine and cheese and pinky extension uh, disparaging remarks about the Tar Heel crowd, the Tar Heel faithful. I can't wait till like they kick to me for some injury update at uh, at nine thirty in Charlotte, and some random Tar Heel fan just shouts obscenities to me, and you start cracking up on the desk and can't control yourself. <laughs> and everyone else is gonna be like, "What's so funny? <laughs> would you would you, uh, would you like would you like for me to join you in uh, in getting targeted? I will right here. They won't shout obscenities at you. They'll go, "My dear Pete." Why did you say that about us, good fellow? <laughs> We're not at brunch, Thamel. We're not at brunch. Uh, yeah. Just think, you know, you know what, you know, it could have been even worse. You could have said it about Virginia. Now, yeah, Virginia really, true. now they really, they really would, you know, stick their noses up in the air. We're casting a wide net here. Uh, maybe, maybe Taylor. Maybe you better shut us down before we alienate all of our friends. We only—it's uh, just a joke. We're just having fun. We love all the fans. Yeah, we do. Of course, the ones who yeah. shout obscenities at Pete, and the ones who beg to differ with his train of thought. Whatever, whatever floats their boat. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. We'll be back later this week with a preview of B One G. 